Hey guys, and welcome to today's episode of The Startup Diary. Today, we have an interview with Warren Schaefer. Now, a quick bit about Warren. He is a two-times company co-founder, a two-times human co-founder, and a first-generation American. He's currently the CEO and co-founder of Knowable, a venture-backed audio platform whose mission is to unlock billions of hours of learning time in order to help more people achieve their potential. He started Knowable to solve his own problem. He wanted to learn new skills but couldn't find the time for video courses. Prior to Knowable, Warren was the CEO and co-founder of Vidme, a video platform that grew to over 25 million monthly users and got acquired by Giphy, and the COO and co-owner of Social Engine that later got acquired by Room 241. That's enough from me for now, so please sit back and enjoy this interview with Adam Callow and Warren Schaefer, co-founder of Knowable. Warren, firstly, hugely appreciate you giving up the time today to join us on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me. Uh, good stuff, mate. Whereabouts are you in the world today? I'm in, in the Pacific Northwest in the States, in Portland, Oregon. Cool stuff. Uh, so right now, Harry will have introduced you and your bio, uh, but in your own words, could you just like, because you've got such an interesting background in terms of what you've done and there's so many things I want to unpackage. Um, but for me, selfishly, and one of the reasons I do this show is to learn from, learn from other founders like yourself, the space that you're operating in now uh, with Knowable is probably one of the most exciting businesses that I've had an opportunity to talk about on the podcast. So can we have a whistle-stop tour of your background and your highlights in your own words? Uh, and then I'd love to dig into the future of audio. Cool. So story with myself, I'm less interesting than, than my company, uh, but I'm first-generation American. My parents came over from Eastern Europe a couple of years before I was born. My dad was an entrepreneur, so I got the bug of entrepreneurship by, by seeing him build a business. However, I also saw him fail at a business pretty dramatically, actually. Uh, basically lost everything, and my family was evicted when I was a teenager, and I actually ended up living with uh, neighbors uh, and one of their kids kind of look like me or I look like them. So they were generous wow. enough to, to house me um, through high school uh, in Southern California. And I went to Harvard for undergrad. Um, I, I spent a few years working in finance. I think seeing my father uh, not succeed as an entrepreneur really made me feel very risk averse. And I, I spent um, you know, I, I was pretty good at finance. I worked at a top investment bank in New York and then a, a really successful private equity firm in San Francisco. And I was literally flying around in a private jet with, with my boss going to meetings. And I, when I was 25, uh, a mentor gave me a book called Risk Takers. And it was profiles of entrepreneurs, of people who had ventured out on their own and taken a risk. And you guys actually had a quote on your podcast that I really liked, which is, right now, risk is cheap, right? And I think we're all playing this game in life of calculating risk versus reward. And, and I realized when I was 25 that you know, I had been fortunate enough to pay off my student loans um, because of, of my work in finance. And I, I thought, hey, if I don't take a risk now, I'll never take a risk. It'll be so hard for me because I'll get accustomed to this lifestyle. And, and I left my job and everyone who I work with thought I was crazy. I basically left with no idea. I moved back to California, uh, Southern California to be closer to family. And um, I started working on startups. And it's been a long journey. It's been 10 years of, of me working as an entrepreneur. And I remember thinking that sometimes what seems like a risk is actually not that risky, right? What's, what's more risky is sometimes playing it safe. Because the thing that people regret at the end of their life typically 
is what they didn't do instead of what they did. So anyway, I've been slogging away as an entrepreneur for, for 10 years and have been fortunate to work with the same co-founder across three different businesses. Um, we sold our two previous ones and what we're working on today is called Knowable. And what we're building is an audio first knowledge marketplace. Cool. So I, I want to spend a lot of time talking about that. Uh, as, as everyone that listens to this show, they, they know that I'm a big, big fan of podcasts, big fan of audio. Uh, one thing uh, that I just want to quickly unpackage, you've had, I didn't realize that about your background. You've had the same co-founder three times. Yes. Yeah. Like, we're basically married. It's, like, yeah, it's like, my, my uh, life partner. Tell me like what, outside, outside how, of my wife. <laughs> how, how do you guys balance each other off so well? And like what the, tell, talk to me about like what the biggest challenges you guys have faced together because um, three, three, three businesses together, like that's testing. Um, talk to me about it that. It is. Yeah. Both of us are products of co-founder divorce. Uh, I actually worked on a startup with my brother and we basically made every first time founder mistake possible. And it, it really frazzled our relationship, unfortunately. And, and Alex also split up with his co-founder and we met each other around the time that we were going through this, this, these founder divorces. And I think what has made us work so well is that we're very complementary in skills. Uh, Alex is a, a designer and a programmer, and I have a business background. And so there's sort of this adage in Silicon Valley of you need one person to make the product, you need one person to sell it. And, and Alex is great at making, and I'm great at selling. So um, that's, that's why I think we've been able to, to weather the storm. And then there's this Venn diagram of a lot of common interests too. Um, we're the same age, we're kind of in the same same desires in terms of building something impactful and, and really just being focused on uh, adding value to the end user of a, of a product. Yeah, I like that. One, one of the things, I, I wouldn't go as far as say it's a, as a, a regret of mine, but uh, as a solo founder, like it's, it's like bloody lonely, to be honest, like having oh, someone to bounce stuff off. Um, but I think on the flip side of it, I've got the benefit of being able to draw a line under the decisions yeah. How have you managed that relationship over the three companies when you guys have disagreed? Like, uh, have you been co-owners and co-decision makers or is one of you acting as CEO in the company and how have you managed that? We're co-owners. So we we're a 50, 50 split partnership. Mm -hmm. However, I'm the CEO. So ultimately the kind of decisions about hiring and strategy fall on me. So budget finance, that, that is ultimately in my domain. Um, product and design is, you know, ultimately Alex's call, but we really work pretty closely together to to test each other's ideas and and to uh, to push back if we disagree with something. But we kind of know, okay, ultimate call is this falls in this person's domain, and if there's a disagreement, we know who's who has final say. But look, I think I think there are pros and cons to every relationship, right? There are benefits to being solo. You can move faster. You, you can make decisions without having to consult anybody else. Uh, but the flip side is, as you mentioned, and, and I'm probably feeling it, it can be lonely. And so mm -hmm. I'm grateful to have a, a co-founder who I get along with. It's, it's rare and special. Love that. So uh, you've, you exit the last business uh, and then you, you and Alex are having a chat, trying to work out what you do next. How do you end up on Knowable? Like, I love the inception stories. How does this come about? Yeah, I've listened to the audio since I was a, a teenager. I got introduced to books on tape, like literally cassettes, and not to date myself, right? So before they got <laughs> rebranded as audiobooks, I was I was a fan. And I've always, since I was a kid, I think, sought out mentors and sought out education, right? Because In a way, because my, my family dissolved, I really looked for other people to emulate and to learn from who were ahead of me. And so, so books have always been something that I've cherished, and audiobooks 
are amazing in my mind because they allow you to fill the time, the downtime in, in your life with quality learning. And Alex and I, when we were thinking about our next business, we really thought we want to start with a mission. We want to start with something that we feel is going to carry us for, for the next 10 year journey. Right. And we, we thought education is the most important thing for society. There's this great HG Wells quote. He was a science fiction writer that basically uh, humanity is in a race between education and catastrophe. And mm. I really believe that. Right. I think that, uh, I've seen firsthand how a great teacher can change someone's tra trajectory. And in high school, I was fortunate to have a great teacher who said, hey, you can go to a great school, right? Like the, the, right, the right teacher at the right time changes someone's life. I had, uh, so we knew sorry to interrupt, I had uh, no. one, one of my teachers pulled uh, one of my parents in and I completely forgot about the memory until you just said it. And, and word for word, they literally said to my mom when I was, I was, must've been 10 or 11 years old. They said, Adam's really bright, but he's going to end up <laughs> being extremely successful or in prison and it depends on the next actions you take as his parent. And I was wow. like, oh. and, uh, they, they pushed me down to a different, um, academic path basically to, to be more challenging than the environment I was being brought up in. Um, but yeah, that, that was a complete fork in the road. Um, for, for me. There, yeah, there really are forks in people's lives. Like you can look back and you see, it's funny. I went on a run this morning and I saw the Robert there, are these not to digress, but I saw these, this poetry box in my neighborhood, you know, people put out poems in these boxes. And the one that was out today was a, a Robert Frost poem, the, you know, two, two roads diverged in a wood. Um, so I think meeting people when they're at those forks with, with quality education is, is really impactful, obviously. And we looked at the landscape and pretty much every player was video and I'm a new dad. Uh, and I have found my free time to be impoverished. So, <laughs> it's really hard for me to carve out eight hours to watch a video course. And I thought, God, I'm commuting every day. I'm going to the gym. I'm doing dishes. I've always loved audio. Why is there no structured way to learn through audio, right? The number one reason that people say they listen to podcasts is to learn new things. Mm -hmm. And yet there's no platform which has established itself as the place for audio first learning. So we built Knowable to be that place. Yeah, I love it. Uh, for I used to be an area sales manager in my previous job. So I was driving around the country. Um, I was meant to spend an hour in all my meetings, five meetings a day. None of those meetings last an hour. They didn't give me the time of the day in the merchanting sector. Uh, so for about two and a half years, I didn't listen to radio once. I listened to podcasts and audiobooks, and that gave me yeah. sort of the uh, the springboard into taking the leap to start my own business. So uh, you're sort of preaching to the choir in terms of uh, using audio for education. Um, I'm always interested to learn like what are the next steps you take? And it's interesting because you've got a track record of uh, entrepreneurship, startups and exits. When you start to think actually, uh, Alex, this is something that we want to do. This is mission focus. It can carry us for 10 years. What are the next steps that you take from a operation perspective to see actually, is there a business behind this? You start socializing the idea. So I went to the smartest person who I knew in the audio space <clears throat> And he had sold a podcast network to, to a large media company. And I said, hey, I've got this amazing idea. Sounds right? like Gimlet and Spotify. Yeah, well, not, <laughs> not, not quite that. It wasn't him, okay. but the next best. Um, okay. this, this lovely chap named Adam Sachs, uh, who, had, who was the, the president of Earwolf and Midroll. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. By, by scripts. And, and I went to Adam. He lives in LA. And I said, hey, Adam, I've got this amazing idea. You know how we've been thinking about doing online video courses? Forget it. We're going to do audio, right? We, we did these surveys. People say they'd be happy with audio. And I love audio. Uh, this is, this is going to be amazing. 
And he looks at me and he's like, ugh, no one pays for audio, right? He's like, no one pays for audio because radio historically has been free. And so mm -hmm. we've been uh, indoctrinated to think that audio should be free always. And I left the meeting with him feeling totally dejected. And, and I went to Alex, I said, we're going to do video, right? Like video is premium, people will pay for it. We felt really strongly that we wanted to have a product that people would pay for so that we could be aligned with our customers and not be an ad supported business. And uh, we, you know, we spent a month basically thinking we're going to make, make educational video courses and talking to all these production companies. And I remember just feeling like this doesn't feel right. Uh, and I went, I, my, I had a conversation with my wife, right? My other, my other life partner. And she <laughs> said, you got to build, you, you're, you're an audio guy. Like you like, you like the, there's something there. There's a blue ocean there effectively. And so that that was really a pivotal moment for us to say, hey, maybe today people don't really pay for audio, but they will, right? And people didn't pay for TV. That was the old adage, right? It was like, TV's free, it's ad-supported. Why would anyone pay for TV? And now you've got HBO and Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu, which are, are huge, huge businesses. So we think the same thing is going to happen in audio. And there's the Wayne Gretzky quote of, skate to where the puck is going, not to where it is today. Like, um. But on that note, like you go, you specifically went to go and find like the smartest guy you know in audio. Like mm -hmm, how mm -hmm. internally, like how do you make that leap from dejection to screw it, let's do it mentality? Yeah, I, Alex, my co-founder, basically said the best businesses are the ones that fly in the face of some conventional wisdom, right? Like I love that idea of no one pays for <laughs> audio. Is that really true, right? And when you scratch beneath the surface, we saw wait, Audible. I pay for Audible. I I paid for Audible for over 10 years, 150 bucks a year. And I love it. I don't want to churn from, from that product. And, and so then we looked at that. And then we looked at, and we saw, oh, in China, China paid audio as a, a $7 billion business, right? And we thought, okay, this, this, this is data that is confirming that people are willing to pay for audio content. And we did surveys too. We actually surveyed people and we said, hey, would you prefer this as a video course or as an audio course? And it was split. The number of people who said that they prefer video versus audio was was only one out of two. So we thought there's a market, there's a market here. And that gave us validation. And just like with anything, every journey, it's one step at a time. So mm -hmm. we went and we thought, okay, who's who's the most famous person we know that we could ask to do a course? And we went to Alexis Ohanian, um, who was an investor in our, our business, and said, Hey, we've got this idea. It's basically, you know, audio first, uh, expert-led courses. Um, do you want to be our guinea pig? And within two minutes, he replied and said, Yes. And we thought, okay, we're gonna do it. Um, and we were off. We were off to the races. It's kind of been. We haven't looked back since. So, give me an idea of when uh, when that reply was sent back to you. Let's like try and apply a time frame to this. Yeah. So that was um, basically a little over a year ago, 2019. Okay. So Alexis fires back a course, which was what was the name of his course? Launch a startup. Launch a startup. That was the one. So he's the co-founder of Reddit. For, for anyone that doesn't know. Yeah. Um, You've got a course from Alexis. You've got a big. You've got a big name on board in terms of potential paid content. Yeah, yeah. What's the next steps there? Because right now it feels like you've got a course. You haven't got a business. Yeah. Well, basically, we thought so. We brought Adam, that guy I mentioned, on as an advisor, and mm -hmm. and I said, um, you know, the the thing was, hey, we want to turn this into a marketplace, right? We've seen it work with our with our past business. We believe in the potential of empowering teachers and creators to turn their knowledge into a business. That's something that excites both Alex and I in terms of the scalability, but we thought we need to prove that people are willing to pay for this on our own. We need to actually validate the format. We need to figure out what is it 
that we can offer beyond just content that's going to feel like best-in-class e-learning, right? So in addition to a, a, a really well-performed uh, course, we also pack, we did a deal with Amazon where anyone who buys a course from us gets $1,000 in AWS credits, right? So it's an immediate return on investment. The course costs 50 bucks. If you're serious about starting a startup, you get $1,000 from Amazon in credits. So we thought, okay, that's nice. awesome. And then we, we, we've built other things into the, into the experience and into the app. Um, so we built our own app to, to actually own the, own the experience. And we have lesson notes. After each lesson that you listen to, you get an email with basically a summary of what you learned and action items and suggested next steps. We have all the documents you need in one place. So co-founder relationship agreement, uh, pitch deck agreement, right? So it's really, it's not just audio. It's, it's going beyond that and really trying to think about how can we take the best education possible and put it into, a, into the noble experience. Um, and then it was, can we get people to pay for it? And luckily, luckily we did. So you've mentioned the word marketplace. I guess one of the things that I wanted to know in terms of how you think about the future of Knowable is, yeah. do you see it to be more of a platform that you'll allow creators to bring their own audience on and you're not handholding and curating the content? Or are you going to specifically curate the content to make sure it hits a certain quality? So I feel like there's two different avenues that you guys can take. How do you think about that? Yeah, definitely a fork in the road question, and it's a hard one to answer. Where, where we're focused on right now is rolling things out on a stage-by-stage -stage basis. So we're building a curated marketplace as our, as our next phase and, and finding great people who we think can, can really deliver for, for an end customer and inviting them to be part of the Noble platform. Cool. Uh, like, uh, so I, I'm getting the impression that right now is that, that is a fork in the road you haven't hit yet. And right now it's purely about are people prepared to pay for audio courses? That's the validation exercise you're going through. We've actually validated that. Yeah. So we've got well over a thousand customers who have paid us um, on average $60 to. How, to how take have you course. found those customers out curiously? Like what are you finding that's working? Yeah. So, so word of mouth um, has been one component. So we, when somebody takes a course, they then get a free invite for a friend, right? So you come on, you pay, we might acquire you through paid or you hear me on a podcast or from a friend. And, and those are the big channels right now, or Alexa's tweeting it out, or we've done some partnerships with other uh, startup companies. And so, so pretty varied, right, so far. Um, and then there's, there's a, a loop happening where somebody comes in, they've listened to it, they've shared it with a friend, that person can take the course for free, they're sharing it with other people. So uh, it's been, it's been validated and, and we're basically off to the races now. Cool. I want to, I want to jump about a bit here if, uh, if you're cool with it, uh, because I cool. knowing a bit about your track record. Uh, you've, you're also a dad. Um, yeah. I'm, a da I'm a dad of two. You're a dad of two. Um, how do you balance this right now? And it's, I, I guess right now specifically is an interesting time, but let's just take, take the current circumstances off the table. Yeah. How are you balancing life right now? What's your views on work-life balance? And it sounds like you've got a really great relationship with the wife and the way that you've spoken about it previously. Like how are you juggling family, life, work, early stage business? Talk to me about that. Yeah. I think when I first, my wife is a few years older than me and I thought I didn't want to have kids until I was, was 35, but uh, meeting her and falling in love with her accelerated my timeline of, of becoming a dad. And I remember thinking, oh, my career as an entrepreneur is over if I have a kid. Because I think, you know, in Silicon Valley, there's sort of this myth of the person who's, who's working 20 hours a day. And, um, you know, if you're a dad, how could you, you can't be, can't be as productive, right? Mm -hmm. I, 
remember talking with a friend who was who who was some years older than me and, and has a couple of kids and is an entrepreneur and he said you just become more efficient right you you just figure it out and there's sort of this boil of law of work right you a gas expands to the space in which it's constrained and and i think people fill their day to to the amount that they can and so kids are a constraint you just have less time because you you have to spend time with them and um so i think i've I, i'm balancing it better by becoming a more efficient as as a manager um and it means being less in the weeds of every decision and and trying to empower others on my team to to you know here's the mission don't micromanage um and it's so hard right it's like it is really a, a challenge and i think every day is a struggle to to find the right balance and startup is like a baby and your babies are like babies um neither of them can have enough time or attention uh and and i'll say one trick that i found is i pick a word for every year kind of a billboard in my mind word and the word for me this year was kind and to treat myself like a friend and to treat others like a friend right so i try to be kind to myself and just sort of say like i'm not like nothing is going to be perfect and i'm I'm going to do the best i can and uh go from there i like that i think uh i think everyone should listen to this right now has probably got a tendency of just beating yourself up you can always yeah. do more yeah uh, it's so crazy how the, what what I love about the word I'm glad you mentioned that because what I love about the word kind, kind the, the etymology is, is is kindred like of the same kind friend right and the way entrepreneurs talk to themselves you would never talk to a friend that way right like the, mm-hmm. the shit that we say to ourselves is you're not good enough you're a failure you didn't your your business isn't a billion dollar business today so therefore you're a failure right yeah. which means by default entrepreneurs are walking around telling themselves every day they're a failure that's not a way to motivate somebody that's not a way to like you know, that's how you, that's, that leads to burnout. And I think entrepreneurs need a mind shift, right? Of how do you act? What's, what's proven is you want to be a long-term athlete, right? And to be a long-term athlete, you have to, you have to treat yourself with kindness, eat right, sleep right, exercise, uh, and find some way to, to stay focused, which means finding ways to rest yeah i completely agree i uh, i only learned what that word meant etymology last year because i hired my i had a coach for the first time ever um i wasn't a big nice. believer or fans in coaches i thought i'm an entrepreneur i'll I work it out myself i'll do it my way yeah um and then a friend got a friend recommended me to them who i, who I respect and I, I went to a coach and he, he taught me about etymology and the words that i use and the impacts of the words that i use and like you say what you say to yourself as an entrepreneur you would never say to a friend but we but we do yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I find it I find it super interesting. Um, Adam, I'm glad you mentioned coaching because that's something that I started too with Noble when I, I didn't have a coach for my past two businesses and I thought, oh, I don't need a coach, right? That's for people who are who who can't figure it out on their own. What was your trigger? What made you think about it? I, I think just because I'm a dad and just thought I need to get better. Like I actually have to figure out how to become more efficient and it felt like an investment in myself, which was hard, right? It was like, oh, I'm going to spend money every month to pay this person to just t- hear me talk out loud, mm-hmm. right? It, there's, it feels a waste of time and a waste of money potentially. But a friend who's an entrepreneur kind of swore by this coach and I, and I chat with him. And it's been one of the best things I've done as an entrepreneur because it, that, that hour of, you know, two hours a month is time where I'm focused on the bigger picture and focused on how do I... <laughs> how do I level up and how do I keep reinvesting in myself so that I'm a, I'm a good leader for, for the people around me. 
Yeah, super, super interesting. I, I'm probably going to uh, sort of go down this rabbit hole a little bit because one thing I've learned about myself is I hit a ceiling in terms of the size of the company that I could manage. I keep bouncing around 15 people and then contracting down. Yeah. Um, there's a point where you can sort of say, oh, I've hired the wrong people. And there's a, then you have to sort of take it onto yourself and go, maybe there's something I need to work on. So hire a coach. Yeah. And I've actually signed up to do a coaching diploma because I want to better understand the tools that coaches use so I can better coach and manage my team. So nice. uh, I've had an absolute uh, mind shift and 180 turn on coaching. Uh, yeah. just out, I guess just out of curiosity, what was the thing that made you feel comfortable to keep going back? Like we've, we understand the trigger, it was a recommendation, but what was it that you felt after those first few coaching sessions that made you go, this is worth my time and money? I mean, I think just having somebody to challenge your thought loops is so powerful, right? We, we aren't our thoughts, but we kind of trick ourselves into thinking that we are. Mm -hmm. And so having an, a person who feels impartial, who's saying, wait, why are you saying that? You know, I just want you to notice that you're saying this thing that is very self-deprecating. Do you really think that's true? And, and that's been very powerful. I think also just having somebody who, who it's almost like a doctor, right? Who's just doing the checkup on you of like, okay, are you looking after yourself? Are you, um, and, and giving you the permission to, to care about yourself, right? Is valuable. Like somehow we, when you make a promise to somebody else, it somehow feels so much more sacred than a promise to yourself, which is tr tragic, but true. And so I, I think having that accountability has been really valuable to me, right? Of me saying, Hey, I'm going to do, I'm going to have, I'm going to turn off my phone every night when I'm with my family and be present with them. Right. And I, I make that promise to my coach and you know, you'll ask me like, okay, how's it going on the family front? Are you being present? And they'll say yes. And, and I think that that concern of both the, the whole person, right. Of not just the work person, but also the, the individual, they, they're so related. It's mind and body. Right. So if, if things are imbalanced in one area, then it, it ripples through to the other. And so, um, having somebody who, who cares about both realms is important. Yeah. Um, there's a risk that I just take this into a, a long conversation about coaching because it's something that's top of mind <laughs> for me right now, but uh, appreciate you sharing your views on it as well. Um, yeah, big fan. Without, without jumping about too much, I guess one thing that I've got something niggling in the back of my head that I'm, I think I just need to get out and ask is I was raised in the family where um, my mom and dad ran a small business that, that had its challenges and you've openly shared the challenges that uh, your dad faced as an entrepreneur. Yeah. How do you think about that being a dad now uh, in, terms yeah. of, in terms of the risk that you're taking and the impact that uh, I guess the path or what you're, susceptible, you're making your children susceptible to uh, and how are you navigating that as a dad? Um, it's a really poorly worded question, but I think you get across the intent that I'm trying to get at is that's happened in your past. How do you yeah. think about that rolling now you're a dad as well? Yeah. Ooh, hitting for a deep vein. I <laughs> Right. It's a fear. It's a fear is, oh, I'm going to repeat the mistakes that my father made. And I'm going uh, to, I'm taking this quote unquote risky path and I might, my kids might not be financially provided for and safe. Right. And that is a terrifying fear. So I think I have to hold that thought, but also find ways to de-risk. Right. So say, well, how much do kids really need, right? Like, what is it that you really need? What you need, I think, as a kid is some, a sense of security, 
safety and love, right? So um, my hope is that I, you know, I, I'm, I've invested wisely and can diversify my portfolio so that I'm not totally all in on the startup, right? And I think um, fortunate to to have raised money from great investors, so it's not all my personal capital in the business um, as well. So finding ways to de-risk are really important, and then also to kind of challenge the assumption, well, do you really have more job security working at a big company today? I mean, even people who are at Uber and Airbnb, right? Many, many people are, are being laid off. And so in many ways, running your own business, you you can manage your own, des- you can control your own destiny, right? And you can say, hey, if I need to um, take off an hour at five o'clock to pick up my kids and be present with them, and I'm going to go back to work after after I put them down, then then you can do that as an entrepreneur. And I think that's harder to do if you're working at a, at a large company. How much so, has... I uh, I get a sense from your your answer that this has probably been something that you've thought about a little bit. Uh, How much has your coach helped you with this situation in terms of uh, thinking about parenthood and business and risk and entrepreneurship? Yeah, there's sort of this line that he's gotten me comfortable thinking about, which is the best decisions aren't made from fear, right? They're made from a place of hope and optimism. They're sort of this above the line thinking and below the line thinking, and they're Mm -hmm. different parts of your brain. And when I look back on my life and I think about what decisions have I made that have been best and have led to the greatest reward, it's it's when you you had hope, right? And you and you believed in yourself and you thought I can figure this out, and if somebody else has figured this out, then I can too. That's really where where he's been so helpful because when you make a decision from fear, it's almost never a great decision, right? It's, I'm not saying you don't need to be cautious and thoughtful, but when in doubt, I think leaning towards optimism is actually a rational decision. I find it really interesting knowing that you went from a, a teenager being extremely risk averse in the career path you've taken to how you think about it today. And I completely agree with everything you just said, by the way, as, as a random, as a random thought, have you ever read a book called the 60 minute father? No, I like it. Though. I like the title. Very, very yeah, appealing. It was one of the first books my coach recommended to me. Uh, and it sort of played into what you just said is, uh, what do kids really need? And he asked me, um, as I was growing up, uh, the listeners of the podcast, I lost my, I lost my dad last year. And he says, when thinking about your dad, uh, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, he said, when thinking about your dad, he says, what do you remember? And it was always memories. It was never things. Um, and he says, right. the six minute father really leans into the fact that it's memories, love, kindness, that a child needs uh, and you also need to be true to yourself is I'm an entrepreneur at heart and yeah. there's no point making yourself miserable getting a nine to five because you presume it's safer. And like you say, right. it, might, it, might not, it might not be safer, um, but definitely worth a read, uh, especially because there's no, you being a, a dad to two young children. Um, I, I definitely recommend it. it, it it's probably the, the book that I gift the most to entrepreneurs who are, who are dads. Um, Amazing. Thanks Adam. Yeah. I'll check that book out. Um, let, let me just, uh, jump back across because I, I want to make sure that, uh, I'm going to be following Knowable. I, I, I downloaded the app. I've, I've had a play. I'm looking forward to checking out some courses. Just talk to me about what you think the future of Knowable and the audio space is like, how big is, I get the impression that you're a guy that's got really big ambition. You said you want to build a business that's got 10 years and it's going to carry you. Um, where do you see Knowable going? Like what, how big is the thing that you're, the, the nut that you're trying to crack? Huge. It's huge. Yeah. We, I mean, we really think of this as our, our last business, right? Of this is a generational business that we're, we're trying to build and the education space feels critically important, 
right? It, it, climate change is a huge issue. I actually think education is an even more important issue because if people aren't educated about how to think and how to make decisions, then we, we won't tackle climate change as a society. So I, I think it's a, a primary skill that is underserved today. Um, we really think of ourselves as uh, an education, a player in the education space. And, and so we're audio first, but not audio only long-term. Um, and I, we, I just don't think that there's a limit to human knowledge sharing. So we've got big ambitions for this one. I think uh, just as a side note for, for those of you that are in one of the things that I'm, uh, you've got two courses on there that caught my eye. One was uh, how to start a podcast. I thought, I wonder if there's anything I can learn in that one. <laughs> uh, and then uh, secondly, you've got one called Learn to Learn. And yeah. I think that's uh, won the title and I, I sort of looked into it and I'm like, it's such a good point is when I think about me as a father, just to jump back to that topic is my kids are being taught multiplication tables and bits like that. And one of my biggest frustrations growing up in education was I get, I get taught to memorize stuff, not right. stuff. So a uh, big believer in the impact of education. I've just had a quick look down at my notes. And before I wrap this up, I do want to get just a couple of uh, comments on, am I right in thinking that you've built a distributed team? That's right. Yeah. So we were distributed before COVID, COVID yeah. hit. Yeah. So, so fortunate there. And part of that came from necessity of, of me realizing that, hey, I'm a father and I have limited time. And so I have to be super efficient with, with my time. And uh, going into this, you know, having a commute in Los Angeles every day and bringing people from all over the city to drive on a concrete road and a river of steel and glass just felt not necessary. And so we, we like anything pros and cons, but are we're believers in, in distributed teams and remote work. Um, it's, How do you manage culture? Break. Yeah, it's hard, right? It, it has to be thoughtful. But there's when you think about if you're really trying to build a big business, at some point you're going to be a remote company. And mm-hmm. we really thought that actually lo- looking ahead, you have the biggest challenges and the most friction when you have some people in a headquarters and some people who are distributed because it's an uneven playing field. Whereas if everyone is distributed, then you have to build the culture from the ground up around how do we build camaraderie online? And it's a work in progress, like anything uh, we're doing. We just hired a, a wonderful new head of content uh, who, start, who started last week and we're doing a Zoom virtual happy hour, right, on, on Thursday. And it's just not, it's not going to be the same, right? But we're going to find ways to make it feel um, to find ways to, to understand each other as humans, right? And what's going on outside of the, the glass screen. What advice have you... So what's interesting for me right now is, uh, we're, as I mentioned, we're a, we're a relatively small team. There's 13 of us here. Uh, two of us are office-based. Major- the rest of the, my team are working from home right now just down to current circumstances. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to work out now like what uh, going back to normal looks like. And I don't think we're going to go back to five days a week. I've just been really impressed with how the team has come together, supported each other, and worked in a distributed fashion. Like, What couple of tips have you got just so I can pick your brain in terms of making making a distributed team, one, work efficiently, but I think you hire the right people. You've probably got a lot of trust in them anyway. Um, yeah. What, what tips have you got that you've learned? Because I understand your previous two companies, none of them were distributed. No. Yeah, they're both, both in office. So... Uh, clarity of mission, right? Uh, everyone understanding what are we trying to build here, right? And sort of what's what are the game, what's the roadmap? So an, we do an all hands meeting every Monday morning, and we have an agenda. Really, really important to have an agenda for meetings. Like, don't have a meeting if you don't have an agenda. And and then at the end of each agenda is action items or next steps, right? Mm-hmm. So 
and having somebody who owns each meeting. So the person responsible for saying, okay, hey, this is a conversation that, that could be had just the, among the two of you. You guys have that offline report back and we're going to keep this meeting moving forward because the, the meeting is budgeted for an hour. We're going to stop at an hour. So all hands meetings once a week, meeting owners, meeting agenda, and, and real clarity around um, next steps too and action items is, is really important for making people feel like they're all on the same page. Um, and then Slack, Slack and Zoom are really have, have made it possible, I think, in a way that it, it just wasn't possible 10 years ago. Yes, top advice. Uh, we, we've got some other things here. No agenda, no meeting. Uh, very simple. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, listen, I could sit and chat. I've just got like, we, this is the first time we've connected. We've been on the phone for like 40 minutes. I feel like I could sit and chat with you for like two hours. Uh, but to, to respect your time, uh, more importantly is, can you just, for people that listen to this, they like audio. Um, yeah. I can I can only imagine that in the future you're going to hear Knowable on lots of podcast advertising because it feels like a perfect fit for what you guys are doing. Uh, if someone's listening to this right now, where where do we need them to go to to at least check out what you're doing? Yeah, Knowable.fyi and the course that you mentioned, Adam, the Learn to Learn course. It's 100% free and it features 10 amazing experts in the learning space, including Josh Kaufman, who wrote a book called uh, Personal MBA. And, and basically, he talks about how you really only need 20 hours to become pretty good at almost anything, including brain surgery, right? So it's like, hey, the amount of time you actually need to learn a new skill, it, it's, it's overestimated by most people. So if you can carve out a little time each day, then, then you can real, make real progress. And there's also a section in there on procrastination. Um, and I'll let people um, hear, hear the tips in there, but there's a really great counterintuitive tip from a psychologist about how, how you can deal with procrastination. So that course is 100% free and you can find us on the web. We have uh, native apps on iOS and Android as well. Like it. Uh, I've got to ask one quick question though. How do you get all these people to come and do courses for you? Because you've got some real heavy hitter names on there. Like how are you getting these names on board? Yeah, it's in the early days, it's it's a street fight, right? Um, and we really, we kind of thought, well, let's bring Alexis on and he'll, he'll bring, he'll raise the credibility of our, of our platform. And then you just leverage up, right? It's just like anything, you just, you keep working away at it. And so um, after we got Alexis, we got Paul Shear to help with the podcast course. And he's a really wonderful podcaster and comedian and improv artist. And then that helps more people feel comfortable. Um, we also hired a great team. So we have people who come from the New York Times and NPR and the Washington Post uh, who, who brought their own network of experts and, uh, and you know, we're able to sell them on this. What we're doing is, is, is value add, right? And so to be part of a free course on learning today, I, I think a lot of people are really excited about. So that also makes it easier having a mission that people care about. Warren, really, really enjoyed this. Guys, uh, you heard it here. Go, go over to knowable.fyi or search for the Knowable app. I've got the app. It's super fun to use. And you guys know that I don't do advertising for free. I don't plug stuff that I don't believe in. I genuinely believe in what Warren's building. I've had a good play around with it. Uh, email me back, startup.diary.mbs.fm once you've gone and listened to a course. I would, I would love to hear your feedback. Warren, you've been an absolute diamond, mate. I really appreciate you. Any, any final words before we wrap up? Yeah, actually, I have a coupon code for your listeners, Adam, which is diary. So if you want to take one of our paid courses, including the startup course, uh, it's 50% off with the code diary at checkout on web. And thank you, Adam, for having me on the show. I'm a, I'm a fan of what you're building. And it's not easy being an entrepreneur. And it's always really nice to, to talk to other entrepreneurs. Super appreciate it, Warren. Stay safe, mate. I'll speak to you soon. You too. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam.